Welcome to episode 11 of the Double Double. I'm Kelly Hogan, and back in Brooklyn, joining me is David Dixon, and we're also joined by a special guest, a returning guest to the Double Double, Max Sass. What's up, guys? What's going on, Kelly? Great to be back in the city. Had a lot of travel issues today on a the great you know american airlines my bags still are in texas but hopefully we'll get those back tomorrow uh, looking forward to breaking down march madness yeah I'm, I'm just excited to be here on the uh the number one sports podcast in uh f- of people who used to inhabit middletown connecticut we have a bracket gentlemen so today we're gonna look at teams that can go on a run List a couple of prospects not named Zion Williamson and John Morant to watch and wrap up with our final four picks. But let's just start with some general thoughts and impressions on the release of the bracket. So let's start with uh, with Coach Sass. What did you kind of make of the bracket when you first saw it and what were your, your initial impressions? You know, I thought they did a pretty good job. I thought that, you know, people... Uh, kind of looking at the snubs or whatever, and I guess UNC Greensboro was kind of the one people mentioned. Um, uh, maybe I, I know Texas had some quality wins, but they were 16 and 16, so I'm not sure they had much of a case. You know, it felt like there were a couple teams that I thought could have been seated a touch higher or a touch lower, uh, you know, one liner or two. But for the most part, uh, I feel like this is one of the least controversial brackets we've had in a long time. I thought the selection committee, they have a hard job. I mean, they have to account for location and there's certain conference matchups that they have to avoid, which I don't, I'm not sure a lot of people know about. And it, they're doing this all in real time. So it's, it's definitely not an easy job. And a lot of people like to, you know, dissect the bubble and some years that's worthwhile. But like you mentioned, the teams on the bubble this year, if they didn't get in, I really don't feel that bad for them. They, they had ample opportunities in most cases to, to prove themselves, and they didn't. The only thing that I will say, though, in terms of the bracket, I just want to focus on like the, the top seeds. So the, the four top seeds in the bracket are Duke, Gonzaga, UVA, and North Carolina. And this is not who I, I think are the four best teams, but who I think had the four best resumes and were worthy of one seeds. I think Duke and UVA were locks, and then... Me personally, I would have had Tennessee over Gonzaga. Yeah, they were 29-5 and and lost in the SEC championship. But, I mean, Gonzaga also lost in their conference championship game, and they play in the freaking West Coast Conference. So (laughs) I think for Gonzaga to be a one seed, the prerequisite is they have to win their conference. And this is not to mention that Gonzaga lost to Tennessee earlier in the season. So just on a head-to-head basis, if it was close, I would have favored the team with more top 50 wins and a victory in the head-to-head matchup. And then I would have had Michigan State in over North Carolina on the one line just because they won the Big Ten, and I think it's a little bit excessive to have three ACC teams as one seeds. Yeah, so I'm, I'm right there with you, Kelly, on the conferences because the ACC got three number one seeds in Virginia, Duke, and Carolina. But I think everyone kind of – thought that throughout the whole season that the Big Ten was probably the best conference. So the fact that they didn't get one number one seed from the team that won their conference in, in Michigan State, you know, I don't know if it's a shot at the Big Ten, but I definitely thought it was a little bit of a snub. And then one other takeaway just from a conference perspective was there is not a lot of respect for the Pac-12, 
you know, what Bill Walton calls the conference of champions. <laughs> uh, Oregon was given a 12 seed, which when you win a major power five conference, and you're given a 12 seed. I mean, that's like, that's pretty, that, 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 that's not a lot of respect given by the committee. Washington got a nine. I, I mean, Arizona state's in the playing game. Uh, just not a lot of respect for, for the big, for, for the pac 12 at all. And considering, you know, if Oregon didn't win that conference, we talk about some of the mid-major teams that got snubbed, UNC Greensboro, you know, Belmont got in, which is awesome way, you know, an at-large given to a great mid-major program that definitely deserved it. You know, if Oregon doesn't win that game, UNC Greensboro probably makes the tournament. And people were saying that this year's the bubble was kind of the weakest it's been in a while, and I kind of disagree on that. I just think that maybe mid-major basketball is just a lot better. Well, I think it's interesting you said that, David, because until Oregon won that game, people were talking about potentially just Washington being the only uh, Pac-12 team in. And then, Kelly, to your point about Michigan State, I don't think this is some, you know, uh, who shot JFK-level conspiracy, but do we need to look at the fact that they didn't play their Big Ten championship game until whatever it was, 3.30 on Sunday afternoon? I mean, all I know is that if I'm the committee and I'm sitting there, am I really going to be trying to change that much based on that result? I think teams that play their games on Saturday and finish their season give themselves a a slight advantage, nothing crazy, but a slight advantage in when the committee sits down on Sunday. They don't. I think it's just human nature to not want to tinker as much. I think that's an excellent point, and I actually have this note written down. I was watching Jay Billis talk about this. So Iowa State got a six seed. Villanova got a six seed. Auburn got a five seed. Cincinnati got a seven seed. And Michigan State got a second seed. They all won their conference tournaments. And you can make the argument that all of them should have gotten a better seeding. So I think it's, it's fair to wonder and to question that they have these brackets. And they might not have many contingencies in play or as many as they should. And so they kind of just roll with what they've got and hope you know the results don't don't hinder their bracket too much but i do think that's an excellent point that there's a lot of instances in which you know these teams should probably be seated a little bit differently than they are and conferences should look towards potentially moving all conference championship games possibly even to saturday yeah and speaking of, of conspiracies kelly there's there's three first round matchups that that i want to point out as Maybe just a little, a little, little being too much of just a coincidence. So, so the first one is Minnesota versus Louisville. This is <laughs> this is Richard Pitino against his dad's old school. You know, I don't know if if Rick's going to be able to fly back from from Greece to watch this one, but you know, there's 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 going to be a lot of awkward talk between the announcers during the game. Do we mention the elder Pitino and what's going on at Louisville? And the younger ones, so I think that one's going to be interesting to watch. See how the how the play by play guys, you know, maneuver around that one. The potential Bobby Hurley reunion against Buffalo, if they can beat the Johnnies in, in the first round, it'll be Arizona State versus Buffalo, current school versus old school. And then the last one, which is the most interesting one to me, LSU Yale. Who would have <laughs> ever thought that Yale would be in a major recruiting scandal? Not not yet linked to basketball. But LSU, you know, their coach on tape with the FBI scandal saying, you know, they made a very strong offer to one guy. And then Yale and another FBI Justice Department scandal, you know, getting $400,000 for fake women's soccer players and, you know, upwards of 
and more than that for for potentially crew athletes and and all this crazy stuff so maybe it's just a battle of who can cheat the best at their universities which will be a really interesting thing to see if anyone mentions that during during the game i'm gonna say that's not mentioned (laughs) I, i i'm with you kelly and you know it's actually kind of a shame in the sense that um I think there's a lot of really good storylines in that game, and that was actually going to be one of my uh, upset special picks because I think Yale is really good. I saw a stat. I'm not sure if it's uh, if I have it spot on, but I think James Jones just won his 310th uh, game at, in the Ivy League as a head coach, which ties Fran Dunphy from Penn of, as the most all-time. We'll have to stat check that. Um, so his run's been incredible. Obviously, we saw what they did. Uh, what was it, two, three years ago against Baylor in the opening round as a 14 seed? And Mieoni, guys, he's he's not just legit. Yeah, exactly. He He's potentially an NBA player. And when you look for a bracket buster, a team that can kind of upset someone, especially a team that's reeling without their head coach right now in LSU, Mieoni's the kind of guy that can drop 35. And, oh, by the way, also pretty interesting – the best player on LSU, in my opinion, is Tremont Waters, who is from just a few minutes outside of New Haven, Connecticut, where Yale's based. So a lot of interesting storylines in that game for me. But give me the Bulldogs, guys. Give me the Bulldogs in that one. Tremont Waters was actually, I believe he was a top 50 recruit who even had Yale on his final list of schools he was considering. Because as you mentioned, he was from Connecticut. So um, there's definitely... There might be some bad blood in that one, and it's also interesting that Will Wade is essentially begging on social media for his job back, but we can, uh, we can leave that for another day. So, David, which teams do you think are flying under the radar that could make a run, not necessarily to the Final Four, but definitely bust some bracket? Yeah, so I have two teams. The first team is the Syracuse Orange. Hey, now. They're a... They're in the West region. They're in eight seed. They got Baylor in the first round. And they have a Hall of Fame head coach, Jim Beheim. The famous 2-3 zone where if you get a team on the right day, playing against that zone is ruthless if you're not having a good shooting day. And Syracuse can just, you know, dominate the game defensively and just beat you 60 to 56 or 55 to 50 and make it a really ugly game and win ugly and you know the great term survive in advance they've made back-to-back sweet 16s as a lower seed and they have an nba player in tyus battle so and who is also an upperclassman so they kind of have all the pieces they have a lot of tournament experience a great coach a quirky style of play and because it's just in a one game decider sometimes all it takes is a off shooting night and you know, Gonzaga is really good, and that's who they probably play in the second round if they were to get there. But if Gonzaga is not shooting the ball great like they were against St. Mary's, you know, Syracuse could could steal that one. You can't forget about uh, Buddy Beheim, David. No. God bless any uh, any 18-year-old college freshman who still wants to be called Buddy. <laughs> when I look at this, I, I kind of look at three things when it comes to making a run in March. Experience, veteran leadership on the team, and then ultimately coaching. And from my perspective – there are definitely some teams that I could see, you know, making a run possibly to the Sweet 16, but I see two teams that are flying under the radar that I could see making the Final Four, and the first one is Kansas State. Wow. Returning all five starters from a team that last season made the Elite Eight, 
Dean Wade and Barry Brown Jr. were both all Big 12 guys this year, and Brown Jr. was Defensive Player of the Year and leads Kansas State with 15 points a game. But the, the talent is there on that team, and so is the experience. As I mentioned, they made the Elite Eight last year. And Bruce Weber, he's not a great coach, but you know he's been in some battles. He was the coach at Illinois when they uh, played North Carolina in that championship game in 05 when they had Darren Williams, and they ultimately lost. But if seeding holds... Their path would be UC Irvine, Wisconsin, Virginia, and then Tennessee. So that's definitely not easy, but I think they've been tested in the Big 12, and there's a chance for them to potentially make the Final Four. My second team is also a four seed. In the Western region, coached by Leonard Hamilton, the Florida State Seminoles. This team is super talented. Like Kansas State, they're incredibly deep. They have eight guys, all averaging at least 15 minutes a game. And all eight of them are between 6 and 13 points a game. So we got even distribution. We don't really have to worry about foul trouble. We're just going to run the horses out there and play with them. And we've seen they've got the athletes. We saw them in the ACC tournament compete. And they ultimately lost to Duke in the championship. I could really see Leonard Hamilton finally making a Final Four. I I like those two picks. I think the two teams that come to mind for me are even a touch lower seed. The the first, you talked about veteran leadership. Um, I really like Maryland, actually, coming out uh, as a sixth seed in the uh, the East. I think that um, you talk about veteran point guard and Anthony Cowan. Uh, you talk about an NBA player in Bruno Fernando. Uh, he's really impressive, guys. He, he's a sophomore. I wouldn't be surprised if he plays his way into a lottery. And I like the way it lines up for them where they're playing a team that's coming off traveling from a first four game. And then you look at playing either LSU or Yale, depending on how that game goes. Uh, and I think that's going to be a tough one for both those teams. Uh, so Maryland's a team to look out for. Um, and then the other team, I think Cincinnati is going to be really, really interesting, guys. I was really impressed watching them um, make their run in the American, and I think they're going to beat Iowa, and I actually think they're going to beat Tennessee to go on to the Sweet 16, and I think they have a great advantage. That game is in Columbus, Ohio, so you're talking about getting a home crowd and, and just a great spot uh, right there. And uh, it, it is the home of champions uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Um, but, but I think Cincinnati, Mick Cronin. I mean, what does John Rothstein say about them? They're, uh, you know, they're tougher than a weekend at your in-laws or something like that. And you know, and they are. I mean, they're just they're tough, man. They're really impressive. So um, I think we're going to end up seeing Maryland versus Michigan State in the Sweet 16, uh, and that'll be interesting. And then I think we're going to see Cincinnati. Uh, making the Sweet 16 and beating Tennessee there. So uh, those are my two lower seeds to watch. Yeah, so so my last one, the team that's probably disappointed the most from preseason expectations that is uh, Nevada. But I still think that they have a real chance because when, cause when you talk about, you know, Kelly outlined kind of like the three factors that, that – that, that go into it. Nevada only plays one freshman in their rotation. Everyone else is a junior or a senior. And a lot of those guys are redshirt seniors or through a transfer they had to sit out a year. Uh, so they have a lot of experience. They made the Sweet 16 last year. Also as a seven seed, I believe. So they have tournament experience. And they're 
back for more. They have the twins, Caleb and Cody Martin, who are very good. I don't know if they're NBA players really, but they're definitely professional basketball players at some high level in Europe. Great size and experienced wins in the tournament. Musselman, I think, is a better coach than Leonard Hamilton and the guy from uh, Maryland. So I give them the edge there. And when when you look at it, they, they kind of have a, a favorable path. Florida had a nice run in the SEC tournament, but I think that they're uh, going to be overrated going into the the big dance. And Michigan is has been awesome, but that's just a game where two really good teams will play each other, and who knows what could happen. That's I think it's just a, a, a pick em game from a talent perspective. I think Nevada matches up well with Michigan. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. So we, we covered teams. Let's hit on some guys to watch. So what are who are some guys, maybe guys that are flying under the radar, maybe guys that aren't, but you think might break out over the next couple of weeks? Yeah, so I picked out three guys that really stand out to me, and they're from uh, different levels uh, of teams in their seating. I think the first one is DeAndre Hunter from Virginia, and he is sort of an obvious one, but I think the difference between last year's Virginia team, which obviously got upset in the in the 16-1 game against UMBC, and this year's team, which, uh, spoiler alert, I think is going to reach full redemption and win the national title is the health of DeAndre Hunter. Is he their leading scorer? No. But if you look at what he's doing, which, oh, by the way, at six foot seven with like almost a seven foot wingspan, he's guarding and he's shooting like almost 46% from three. He's technically their second leading scorer. But if you look at the way Virginia plays and their scoring breakdown, and I have it right here, Kyle Guy averages 15.6 points per game. DeAndre Hunter averages 15.1 points per game. Ty Jerome averages 13 points a game. And then who's next? Diakiti, pardon my French, at 6.8 points per game. So there's a huge drop-off there. And and Hunter is one of those guys that I think gives them a lot of creativity that they lacked last year. Um, I think the system's changed a little bit. Uh, they're going away a little bit from that blocker mover style offense and they're going a little bit more set based and uh, even some more free flowing stuff. And I think part of that is to allow Hunter, who another guy who's a big time NBA prospect to thrive. And he's the difference, guys. And uh, he's the difference between uh, an early exit and a, and a national championship, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. He's, you know, you talk a lot about like the NBA potential for Hunter and and Hunter is when when you look at the the prototypical three and D wing, that as you're saying, if if they make it far in the NCAA tournament, he's going to be credited as the guy who was missing last year, and his stock could even maybe he jumps up into the top three or four over a guy like Cam Reddish. But but the first guy I want to highlight is not an NBA prospect at all, and that's Ethan Happ from the Wisconsin Badgers. So so this dude's a senior. He scored in his in his career. He has over twenty one hundred points and twelve hundred rebounds, which is just incredible production in the Big Ten. By the way, a major conference, and he's a as, as we talked about before. Seniors usually do well in this tournament for teams that that go on a run. Uh, he's in. He's just a great post player who plays the game in a way that that that's not valued at all by the NBA. Very poor shooter, but he has he's unstoppable in the post and it'll be really fun to watch him try to take Wisconsin and go on a little run here because the East region 
you know, they have a chance where they're the five seed. They'll they'll have to beat Oregon, and if seeding hold, like they have to play Kelly's team in, in Kansas State. But hey, the Big Ten, the Big Ten was the best conference in college basketball. They're used to playing incredible teams on back to back nights. So who knows what could happen? And when you have a, a senior like Ethan Happ, who's a quirky player, uh, doesn't play the the you know the quote unquote modern game, uh, it could cause a lot of noise in March. My first guy is a local kid from Seton Hall, Miles Powell. He's putting up 23 points per game for the Hall. And he's really the only offensive threat on Seton Hall. If you watch their games and watch them play and watch the offense that Kevin Willard has instituted, I'm almost willing to go as far as to say without him, they might be or might have been the worst team in the Big East this year. Their game on Thursday in Jacksonville, he's going to pull up a couple times from about South Beach. (laughs) Trey Young had a green light last year. Miles Powell light is just as green this year. And I'm really watching to see, can he put Seton Hall on his back? They play likely Kentucky in the second round if they can get by Wofford. If Miles Powell gets hot, He's the type of guy that could lead Seton Hall back to the promised land. Kelly, I think you're spot on, man. And, and you know, if I didn't like you so much, I would I would get mad at you for stealing my next impact player who was going to be Miles Powell. I mean, if you look at the things he did, they had just two weeks ago lost to Georgetown in a double overtime game. And then Powell comes out in the first half of that game Thursday night and scores 29 points. Big East record, Big East tournament record in the first half. And that game was over at that point. I think the biggest difference for him, and again, this is a Seton Hall team that, with two games left in the regular season, was probably not in the tournament. They were probably on the wrong side of the bubble, and they had to beat Marquette and beat Villanova uh, to do that before making their run to the to the finals of the Big East tournament. But the biggest difference to me with Miles Powell has been has been how much of a playmaker he's become. If you look at those games and the games that. They're, you know, they're, so you look at the Marquette game in the regular season, five assists to go along with, oh, by the way, 34 points, not too shabby. You look at the Villanova game when they win at home, that puts them firmly into the tournament. Another five assists. Georgetown, he didn't need it. Marquette, when they beat Marquette by two in that game that was marred with, what, 78 free throws and eight technical fouls, uh, you know, Seton Hall won, but so did the refs apparently. Seven seven assists, and then the championship game against Villanova, he carried them with twenty five points and only four assists. But Powell becoming a playmaker, Kelly, is what I think makes him so dangerous. And everyone's kind of talking about Fletcher McGee and that Wofford team, and that's going to be a really fun first round game. But don't forget, Seton Hall already beat Kentucky this year, and I think it's going to be really really hard to do twice. But as Gus Johnson said, you know, he's going to have to hit him from Trenton. If they're going to do it again, that was an awesome call. That yeah, that was. I think I heard something the other day. Someone was saying they wish uh, Gus Johnson could sign a ten-day contract with CBS away from Fox <laughs> for the tournament. I, I was like, yeah, that, that's uh, that's pretty spot on. But uh, yeah, so th- that was my second one. My my, my uh, you know, I'll, David, I want to hear your next guy, and then I'll come back around with my final guy to keep an eye on. Yeah. So so my next guy is is a guy who who will not be taking any three pointers again. And is probably the second most unique player in all of college basketball, and potentially might get a matchup with the most unique player in college basketball. 
I'm talking about Taco Fall from UCF, the seven foot six center, uh, who is a career seventy four percent shooter from the field. And I I actually want to see this is his first time in the big dance. He provides a type of defensive backbone that no other team in the country can provide. UCF starts, you know, their front court, their power forward, 6'11", and then they go 7'6". Like, that's a lot of size in the front line, and defense travels and defense wins in this tournament. These are intimidating forces, at least in the first-round game. So if they are able to squeeze by VCU, who is a very good team, and they get to play Duke, the Zion-Taco matchup, is, is one to watch and just in terms of uniqueness of players in the college game. Yeah, I think in that matchup, the over-under for posters of Zion on Taco is about <laughs> 1.5, and I, I'm probably taking the over. Oh, I'm taking the over as well. Yeah. My next guy is from the West region, and he plays on a team that I feel is kind of going under the radar a bit. They had a really good regular season, and he was the Big 12 player of the year, and that's Jarrett Culver, guard from Texas Tech. He's probably going to be a top 10 pick in the draft. Great ISO scorer. Very versatile as a playmaker. And similarly to Miles Powell with Seton Hall, if Culver can get hot, Texas Tech can go on a run. And they lost early in the Big 12 tournament. And yeah, that sucks. But that could be a blessing in disguise. You know, they're well-rested. They rejuvenate. They have one of the best coaches in the country in Chris Beard. Outside of Florida State, another team that I could see just totally busting that bracket and coming out of of the Western region is Texas Tech. So, Coach Sass, who's your next guy? Well, I want to stay in that region and and stay with Florida State because my last player to keep an eye on is Terrence Mann. He's a fifth-year senior. We talk about talented veterans getting it done. He's the second leading scorer for Florida State. He's averaging 11.2 points per game. But if you look at the way uh, they kind of um, group together at Florida State, Cabin Gelly's averaging just under 13. Then you have Forrest averaging uh, 9.1. MJ Walker, 7.8. Phil Kofer, 7.4. So you have a lot of dudes that are kind of chipping in. They go pretty deep there. Um, <coughs> excuse me. They play like 10 guys over 10 minutes or something like that. But I think Terrence Mann is the key, and part of the reason I think he's the key is because he's shooting the ball better this year. If you look at his career, he he redshirted his his true freshman year, but after that he took 13, 23, 46, and this year 73 pointers. So for a guy that's finally, and and now he's upped his percentage, he's never shot better than 30.77 before this year. This year he's shooting uh, just about 43% from three. And I think that's the difference for a team that is built around defending the rim, crazy length. I mean, how many seven-footers do they have? I'm not sure you can count it on one hand. Terrence Mann is kind of the engine that makes them go uh, and, and, you know, the hand on the clock that really makes them tick. And his three-point shooting this year has been the difference. He's shooting it better from the line, uh, a career high this year, 79% from the line. Um, His overall shooting percentage has gone down a little bit, but I think he's been forced to take uh, a slightly higher degree of difficulty shot this year for Florida State, and I think that's going to pay off in the tournament uh, when he has his fifth-year senior moment. Yeah, but, but before we move on and, and give the people 
what they wanted and, and what they've been waiting for, which is all of our final four picks. I just have a couple questions for, for Coach Sass from, from a coach perspective. So we've been talking a lot about the value of experience and leadership. In a tournament like this, you know, it is it is interesting when, when you look back at it, you know, in the last 10 years, let's say since 2010 or so, of the teams that have won national championships, Duke in 2015 had Jaheel Okafor and Tyus Battle, elite freshmen, and that 2011 Kentucky team had... Uh, obviously Anthony Davis as their as their main guy as, as a coach going into this tournament would, would you rather have one of those truly elite freshmen who are going to be picked in the top five in the draft or a group of collect like a group of veterans a collection of guys who know how to get it done and I think it's kind of a I think my answer is going to be yes I'll take both um, because because my caveat with what you said is those are really good points but that Duke team with Oak and Tyus Jones and Justice Winslow don't forget who was making the big shots that was Quinn Cook fellas and and he was the vet he was the senior he was the guy that took those NBA top 10 picks or first round picks in 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 Tyus Jones case under his wing and said I got this we got this and and even that Kentucky team you know I confuse all those Kentucky teams but I'm pretty sure they had like uh was that like DeAndre Liggins and and I'm not sure exactly who it is, but I know that they had a couple vets on that team as well. They they were young with Anthony Davis, but I think the ultimate answer is you need to have that mix and that balance, or else it's not quite going to work. Um, but but I think yeah, it never hurts to have a, a top three pick. I'll tell you that that's that's uh, that's my cop out of an answer. Yeah, so that that's a great media trained response, and and so and so and so my second question is kind of. On our last podcast with with Harry, we we asked him to talk about you know his daily grind as a as a professional athlete, and so leading up to the NCAA tournament because you were our coach, our my freshman year, Kelly's sophomore year, and the D three tournament where leading up to that week, you know you and the other coaches are kind of in the office doing a lot of work, and we don't see the grind that goes into how coaches prepare for a tournament like this, especially in the first weekend back to back game. Uh, winner go home so kind of just just talk about what coaches go through this week once the brags announced kind of what they do to get their teams ready to play on thursday and friday that's a great question um again i can only speak from my experience um and, and for us at wesleyan the focus was uh let's win the first game let's win the first game and then you know, once that happens, we can turn the attention to the second game and, hey, let's win the second game. And um, we were going to be prepared. With that year, we went up to Rochester and, and you know, uh, I packed two suits. I was ready to play two days and then I was ready to come back and pack two suits for the following week. And unfortunately, it didn't work out like that. But what you have to do is, you, you know, and at the Division One level, you're a lot more fortunate in terms of the depth of a coaching staff. Um, but with today's technology, you scout your first game, and that's probably where the head coach is going to spend a lot of his attention. Um, but then you have other two other assistants, and maybe your ops guy and your your graduate assistants and video coordinators. Those guys are starting to, you know, think about what's next. So, say you're the number one seed. Say you're Duke. You know, you're sitting here. Well, Duke's a weird one because they have to play a playing game team, so they're probably doing four scouts. But so say, so let's look on the other side of the bracket. Let's talk about Virginia. You know, your go-to guy is is scouting Gardner-Webb. But at the same time, your other two assistants, one guy's got Mississippi and one guy's got Oklahoma because you have to be ready. And ultimately, the true test of a coach and part of the reason it helps to have veteran guys is because you have to feed them 
a lot of information on who they're playing within just 24 hours. Now, in the D3 tournament, it's Friday, Saturday. In Division One, you at least have a day off in between to you know get your legs ready and, and really get that game plan installed and maybe go through some stuff on the court. But it's a tough test, and you know we were very fortunate at Wesleyan that Coach Riley was uh, really good at, at, at recruiting the right guys, and you guys are two examples of guys that were able to pick up scouting reports really quickly and what you have to do is emphasize what you know you can't take away everything so you got to figure out what you want to focus on and get that information to your guys and uh, ultimately you want to be as prepared as possible and see what you can pass on but um, you know put it this way when when Virginia lost to uh, UMBC there were a lot of guys who who <laughs> in that 8-9 game on the other side I forget who it was was that uh, Kansas State or someone uh, Kansas State coaching staff was People were making a lot of jokes about how they had to prepare a new scouting report, but no, like you're prepared for every situation, no matter what. And and uh, at least I hope they were. It seems that coaches just break the bracket down, you know, into into each little pod. So let's win the weekend, essentially. Let's get to the Sweet 16, then let's get to the Final Four, and then let's get to the National Championship. So it's almost three tournaments within one. That's a great that, way to put it. That's exactly right, Kelly. That's exactly get through the weekend get through the weekend survive in advance we've heard it a thousand times but that's what it is there you can't think about the sweet 16 because you have no freaking clue who you're gonna play right all right so let's let's give the people what they came here for final four picks how are we doing this we're we're, we're gonna go one at a time or uh, all four at all four at once yeah just go all four and then natty who you got winning the national championship all right coach sass as our esteemed guest thank you thank you so uh I have, uh, as I mentioned, I have Virginia coming out of that uh, that South bracket, uh, coming out of the East bracket. I'm actually taking Michigan State. I think they're going to beat Duke to get there. Um, out of the West, I think it's going to be Texas Tech, guys. I just think they're tough. I think Chris Beard, as you mentioned, is an unbelievable coach. And uh, in the Midwest, I think it's going to be Kentucky, guys. That that young team is starting to gel. So uh, Virginia over Kentucky. And then um, we're going to have, I think, Tom Izzo's squad is going to end up losing to Texas Tech in the Final Four. And I think it is Virginia over Texas Tech in the national title in uh, one hell of a rock fight. That's going to be a, a physical game, guys. <laughs> wow. So Virginia fully redeems themselves the ultimate redemption the ultimate redemption wow if you would have told tony bennett 12 months ago you're gonna lose as a one seed but next year you can come back and cut cut down the nets (laughs) he's taking that 10 times out of 10 so if you're right tony bennett tony bennett's gonna be one happy man yeah maybe maybe yeah 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 i i i think People don't realize how good Virginia's been. If I'm not mistaken, they're like 30 and three over the past two years, or something, or, or in the ACC, like something absurd. Um, they deserve to win it, and I think they will. I think Hunter's the difference. Uh, Tony Bennett takes the deal. Wow. So, so I'm 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 not as high on Virginia, but I have I have uh, some similar picks as you, mainly just one. So, so coming out of the East region. I got Tom Izzo's squad, Michigan State. You know, they always, this is their time of year. Izzo, Izzo is, is a big proponent of it may be ugly in November and December, but 
in in March, man, they are ready to play, and they're always playing their best basketball this this time of year. Coming out of the West, as much as I was talking up Syracuse, I love Gonzaga basketball, and and you know this might be you know I kind of hate when every time that they're a one seed, everyone's like you know this might be the best Gonzaga team ever, but this might actually be the best Gonzaga team ever. So. You know, they, they have two legit NBA guys. They have Killian Tilly and Rui Hachimura, who are both big, tough, tough to guard, tough to scout players who are going to be playing in the NBA next year. And so I have them coming out of the West. Out of the South, I got Tennessee, guys. You know, I know that they lost by a lot to Auburn in, in the SC Championship, but I just love the way that they play. I think Rick Barnes has done a great job with this team and that program. I love Grant Williams. And I love Admiral Schofield. Best name in college hoops. Tremendous player, tremendous leader. And then coming out of the Midwest, I got North Carolina. They've been, I think, they're the team that impressed me the most throughout the season. I love Cam Johnson on their team. I think he's going to be a very good NBA player. I think he's a guy who's going to be picked in the 20s. And it was going to be like sleeping on him. And then next year he's been doing awesome things. And we're going to be like, how did, how did no one take him? And then so in the final four, I got Michigan State uh, versus Gonzaga. I think Gonzaga wins that one. So they'll be playing in the national championship. Tennessee, Carolina. I love Tennessee. I think, I think they get it done in a squeaker. Roy Williams, I love that he doesn't call timeouts, but I think he doesn't call a timeout at the end of the game when they might have needed one and they take a bad shot, and uh, Tennessee escapes with the win. And the national champion, Gonzaga, Tennessee, I think there's going to be a really fun, exciting game. I just think Tennessee pulls it out just a little bit ahead of my, my, fav- my love of Gonzaga basketball, and the wait continues out in Spokane, Washington. So Tennessee will be the national champions. Wow. All right. So in the East, I, I think you guys are, I think you're both overthinking this. Duke is the most talented team. They have the most experienced coach. They have the best college basketball player in a long time. I got Duke coming out. I have a ton of respect for Tom Izzo. I think Duke is just a, a level above. And then coming out of the West, I said they could, but I'm going to call my shot and say they will. I have Florida State making the final four coach Sass, as you mentioned terrence Mann is is definitely developing himself into a shooter and they have trent forrest and a couple other dudes who are just defensively that they lock up so i have i have florida state and duke on the same side of the bracket coming out and then in the south david i'm right there with you on tennessee admiral schofield is a monster and grant williams is the best player in college basketball that nobody talks about I think he's going to carve himself out a role in the NBA as a role player that, you know, is kind of a basically a Swiss Army knife. So Tennessee, I have representing the South region. And then the Midwest, I have Carolina. Luke May has the experience. Colby White is coming into his own as the point guard, running the show for Roy Williams. I think the Tar Heels get to Indianapolis. And advance to the title game Whoa. where they face the dukies and we have a little tobacco road rivalry wow part yeah. four and so duke and zion take on roy williams and i have i have duke winning the national championship i know i know that's chalk 
And I know that's boring, but I think that's what's going to happen. When it's all said and done, Zion is just too big, too strong, too physical. And I think Coach K wins a sixth national championship. I got a quick question about, about Duke. Does their, their, their biggest weakness is their, is their three-point shooting. And so do you think that just is, – is that an area of, of concern for you? Just, just on a day where they're just not hitting a lot of jump shots, you know, maybe a game where R.J. Barrett goes four for 18 – which he seems very capable of doing. Cam Reddish is one for 12, and it's all on Zion's shoulders to win. Do, do you think there's a team out, out there in the East that can hit enough threes to, to knock him off? Is that an area of concern for you? That's, that's definitely an area of concern, David. We've talked about that before as to why R.J. Barrett, this might not be the best situation for him to showcase his skills on the NBA level just because he, he doesn't have the shooters around him and he just kind of lacks trust in his teammates, especially Cam Reddish, who's shrunk in big moments and that's certainly a concern but i just think duke's talent level is so high that their margin for error is so large that even if they do slip up and you know shoot six for 30 in a game from three i think they have the talent they have the experience especially on the coaching staff to come out of the region i I do like cassius winston of michigan state dude is a baller absolutely love him would love to see him in the final four, but I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a great tournament. This this tournament's always the best. I already got plans with with my buddy from from Vassar. The the plan is to sit on the couch all day and you know watch every basketball game for for the first weekend. And it's just it's awesome. I, I want to give a huge shout out to to Wesleyan University for having spring break last throughout this whole first weekend of uh of the tournament, so that uh. You know, I can sit on the couch at home and watch all these games. Yeah, I just want to say uh, thanks again for having me on, guys. I, uh, you know, with with the exception of your inability to get a better expert guest than me, um, you guys are are doing an awesome job, and it's a great listen week in week out, and um, really good analysis, and and you guys just keep getting better each and every week, and uh, it's it's a must listen for me. Coach Sass, we really appreciate you joining us, taking the time out of your your busy schedule to to make some time for us and, and talk some hoops. We really, really enjoy having you on. Always, 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 guys. Yes, sir. And 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 we want to give our, our, our last shout out to to maybe Jordan Sears. The man, the myth, the legend who might be helping lead St. John's into the Sweet 16 graduate assistant, Jordan Sears. You know. Doing his work as what Coach Sass described. He's he's working on the Buffalo Scout right now, probably, as we speak, and maybe even Texas Tech getting ready for a run. So shout out to Coach Sears and the St. John's guys and wishing them the best of, of luck in Dayton and, and going forward in this tournament. Yes, sir. Yeah, let me let me let me add one final thing, guys. I know people are talking about oh Arizona State, St. John's. How funny would it be if Chris Mullen and Bobby Hurley played one on one? I have Chris Mullen winning that 11 to 4. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Not even close. All right, guys. So that, that'll do it for episode 11. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. We'd appreciate five stars. We're actually also on Spotify. So if you're, if you're team Android, you can catch us, catch us there. Uh, if you want to leave feedback, you can tweet at us. The Double Double Podcast. I think the handle is DBL underscore DBL Podcast. Or you can email us, double-double-402 at gmail.com. People loved 
the episode with Harry Rafferty. We appreciated him giving us his time. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Take care and, and make it a great day.